Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your deep, deep love. We thank you for the wonderful expression of that love shown to us by sending your Son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for your deep love for us, dying on the cross for us, that we can be set free, that we can have eternal life. We praise you, God. And I pray now, even in this moment, as we open your word, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit and remind us of your great love for us and help us to respond the way you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're finishing up today our sermon series where we're going through Romans 1 through 8. We started about four months ago. I hope you've enjoyed the walk through it. And today what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back and do an overview of Romans 1 through 8. Now, there are tons of ways that you could go about this. There are... I mean, innumerable different angles that you could approach this from. And I've decided to take two different angles today. So I actually have two sermons today. So you're in luck. You guys didn't know you're coming to church, you're going to get two sermons. But never fret, they're each about half as long as normal. So it's only about an hour each. So, um, um, the first recap that we're going to do is a general recap. We're just going to walk through, look at the general contours of the book of Romans. I'm going to pick out some key verses and explain them to you. And then the second recap we're going to do, we're going to trace one key word all the way through the book of Romans. Okay, so first we're going to do this general recap, looking at some key verses. And when I say key verses, I, I mean that there are verses that I have picked out that help me understand the book of Romans. So it's not like these verses shine in neon lights or anything in my Bible. Uh, these verses are just ones that help me understand what Romans is. So these verses in this first half of my sermon are in your bulletin. If you want to follow through, you can follow through there. Or I'd encourage you actually to open up your Bible. And uh, if, if you even want to mark these in your Bible, you can. Uh, I, I won't say any more about that. You, you may do it if you want. Um, okay, so the first key verse that I have picked out is actually the, the verse that I have picked out as the key verse for all of Romans. And I'm not alone in this. I've heard other people do this as well. 117. I'll read it for you. It says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, we have the words, key words in here, gospel and faith. Uh, I said at the beginning of my sermon series that Romans is about the gospel. The first, ver- first five verses of Romans make it clear that Paul is talking about the gospel of God. It has to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our response to the gospel message is to put our faith in him. So for Romans 1.17 to say, in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, it's, it's talking about this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. But 1.17 adds a very important element to it. It adds the word righteousness. Righteousness is an immensely important word in the book of Romans. The idea is that if any of us want to get into heaven, we have to be righteous. Okay? I I, I want you to know that. And think about it from God's perspective. Why would he allow any unrighteous person to get into heaven? If we want to get to heaven, we have to be righteous. And praise the Lord, God tells us at, at the beginning of Romans here, where that righteousness comes from. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Now that's going to be really important because over the next two plus chapters, we're going to see how unrighteous we are. Remember at the beginning I told you one way to understand Romans 1 through 8 is that the first half chapter 
is an introduction where it tells us it's going to be about the gospel. But then the next two plus chapters are what I call the bad news of Romans. And remember walking through that, it took us about a month to go through just all this horrible, awful stuff that we do. And then uh, at the very end of chapter 3 through the rest of chapter 8, it's the good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we have new life in Christ. Um, but if we're talking about righteousness and if we're talking about the bad news of Romans, the, the key verse that I have picked out for that is chapter 3, verse 10, which says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is not a single one of us in here that could go up to God and say, God, would you please look at my life, everything I've ever done, would you please consider it all, and I think when you do, God, you will see that I am going to be good enough that, that you'll, you'll look at me and you'll say, sure, you can come in. That, it could not happen for any one of us because the Bible clearly tells us here there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, a famous verse says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all. It's not all minus you. It's every single one of us who have sinned. Left to ourselves, we are unrighteous. Even if we tried really hard to be good and righteous, even if we tried, like Paul talks about people in here who see God's law, they see the commands, they see what God wanted for his people, even if we tried really, really, really hard to do all of those commands, to try to honor God rightly, what we would inevitably see is that every single one of us falls short. There is no one righteous. We can't make it to God that way. Now, that's a huge problem. Because I, I just said earlier that if you want to go to heaven, you have to be righteous. And now what I'm telling you now is that none of us are righteous on our own. And that's a huge problem. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. So again, if you tried in your own human effort to try to make it to God, by trying as hard as you could to please God, what you would do instead of pleasing God is you just become more aware of how sinful you are. Righteousness is the standard. And God's standard is perfection. We do not measure up. But that's why it's so good then that Paul makes this transition between 3.20 and 3.21 about the gospel. I want to read verses 21 and 22. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness from God has been made known. And let me emphasize those two little words in there. From God. It's not from ourselves. Because what kind of righteousness do we have to offer? None. Righteousness comes from God. It is revealed to us. That it is given to us. And how is it given to us? Well, it says in verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Again, I said the standard of, of judgment is perfection. Well, Jesus lived a perfect life. That's why he was able at the end of his life to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for us. And you think again about all the Old Testament sacrifices repeated endlessly day after day and year after year. The purpose of those sacrifices was to cleanse the sinner. Well, how good of a job did they do? If the sacrifices had to be repeated every day, how good of a job did they do of cleansing the sinner? 
certainly didn't do an eternal job of it. But when Jesus came, Jesus, who is perfect, lived a perfect life, came and offered himself for us, he is the, the once-for-all sacrifice so that we can be declared righteous. That is the good news of the gospel. We don't have a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness is given to us through Jesus Christ. But what's our part in it? What does it say? This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ already did everything that needs to be done. Our response is to put our faith in him. And the word faith means to believe, to trust. It means to give our lives to him. And and one of the ways that I think about the word faith is that we all came into this world assuming that we knew how best to lead our lives. So the things that we did, the choices that we made, we made because we wanted to make them. We really set ourselves up as the Lord or the master of our own lives. But to put our faith in Jesus means we give our lives to him. We recognize him as Lord. We submit to him. We follow him. We believe in him. And we continue to walk with him. That's the Christian life. It's a life we can't earn on our own. We we can never go up to God and say, God, did I do good enough? The only way to have salvation is to be declared righteous. That only happens through the blood of Christ. We have to put our faith in him and live for him, and live with him. Again, the only way that we can be made righteous is through the the death of Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord, that's exactly what the good news of the gospel tells us, is that Jesus died for us. And I want to show you another verse on that line. Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we were dead in sin. We were unrighteous. We were living self-directed lives. That's who we were. In fact, if you look down to chapter 5, verse 10, it says there that we were enemies of God. Think about that. Unrighteous, sinful, enemies of God. That's who we were. And how does God respond to us? But God demonstrates his own love for us. I love chapter 5, verse 8. Um, I, I actually have kind of picked it out as my, my third key verse. So 117 is the key verse. 5, 8 is the third key verse. I'll show you my second key verse a little bit later. I know that's a little confusing. But um, I love 5, 8 for two reasons. One, because it shows us the love of God. While we were sinners, while we were enemies, God showed his love to us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. We never could have cleaned up our act. We never could have done it. God loved us in the midst of our sin. And I tried to emphasize this as I was walking through chapter 5, and I want to spend a little bit of time on it right now. I want you to know, if there is a shadow of a doubt in your mind about how God feels about you, I want you to know that God loves you deeply. Even if you have spent your entire life running from God... That would put you in the camp of sinner and enemy, right? How does God feel about sinners and enemies? He loves them. So even if you spent your whole life running away from God, God still loves you and deeply desires for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That is the love of God for us. And it is an amazing love. And then the second thing I love about this verse is that it mentions again the death of Jesus Christ because there's no righteousness for us 
unless Jesus dies for us. And again here we see the love of God. Specifically we see the love of God the Son who willingly gave his life for us. Willingly went to our Roman cross to die for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. So that we could have eternal life. We earned a death penalty. But Jesus took our place. He died for us that we might have eternal life. It reminds me of Romans 6.23 which by the way Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 are a wonderful pair. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and Romans 6.23 says for the wages of sin is death. The wages meaning what we've earned. So yes, I, I find this ironic. The person who thinks that they can go to God and say God have I earned my way into eternal life? What is it that we have earned? Death. The wages of sin all are sinners. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the gift that God wants to give us. So if we put our faith in Christ, giving our lives to him, we have forgiveness and new life. But one of the things I love about the book of Romans is it doesn't just leave us there. It doesn't just say, here's how you get salvation, and uh, you can go to heaven when you die, and I'll come back later in 40 years to pick you up. One of the things I love about Romans is that it tells us how to live the new life now. And one of the verses I love on that is 6.11. It says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that, I picked this one out as the second key verse in Romans. So again, if you're scoring at home, 117 is the key verse, 6.11 is the second, and 5.8 is the third. At least just in my mind, okay? So some of you maybe don't want to jump into my mind, and you can think of it differently then, okay? Now, I quizzed the uh, adult Sunday school class on this morning, and um, they failed miserably, so I'm going to have to repeat myself, okay? Romans 6.11, in the same way, in the same way as what? We should perhaps ask, in the same way, well, look at verse 10, talking about Jesus. Verse 10 says, the death he, Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So do you think that Jesus counts himself dead to sin? Yeah. He, he died to it. No longer, nothing to do with it. He, is, he, he died to sin. In the same way, we should count ourselves dead to sin. And I think that means many things. One of the things I think it means is that we should hate sin so much that we want it gone. Sin has no part in our new life with Christ. Now, if you're like me, you still do sin. So how, how should we view that? Well, sin has no part in my new life in Christ. That means that when I see it in my life, when I still mess up, when I do things that I shouldn't do, I should go to God and I should ask Him for forgiveness. I should confess that what I did was wrong and I should ask Him for the strength to do what's right. Because I should count myself dead to it. When I see myself doing it, I should, there should be this yuck moment. Like, I, I just entered back into a little piece of death right there. Now, praise the Lord, there's forgiveness. There's complete forgiveness for our sins. But why should we live in it any longer? It's one of the questions Paul's asked, Paul asks. Why should we live in it any longer? And then second, do you think that Jesus counts himself alive to God? Think about Jesus right now, living in heaven, reigning in heaven. Do you think that he considers himself alive to God? In the same way, count yourself alive to God. We have a new life to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, the very power that was at work resurrecting Jesus from the dead, according to that power is the power that is at work within us. We have new lives to live. 
We're going to count ourselves alive to God. How do we do that? Well, chapter 8 has some wonderful things to tell us about how we live this new life in God. 8.5 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. When a person receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they also receive the Holy Spirit. It's one of the wonderful blessings. And you can think of it this way. Uh, God the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are united. So when we receive God the Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, we also receive the Holy Spirit. You can see that in in chapter 8, verse 9. And what the Holy Spirit then does inside of us is that he leads us, he empowers us to live the lives that God wants us to live. So what are we supposed to do? We are to set our minds on what the Spirit desires, not on what the sinful nature desires. It's still possible for us to follow the sinful nature. It's a really bad choice, but we can do it if we want to. We we still hear the temptation. We still remember those old things that we did in our old life. We see other people around us doing it. We could do that. Instead, we are to set our minds on what the Holy Spirit desires. And what does the Holy Spirit desire? Well, the Holy Spirit is God, so he desires what God desires for us. So we're to set our minds on what he desires. And I think that means getting to know God, getting to know his will, reading his word, praying, listening to wise advice from other believers, listening to to solid teaching. In all these things, we learn the will of God and we are to set our minds on what God wants for us. And he will strengthen us then to live the lives that we are supposed to live. And we don't do that in our own power. The Holy Spirit himself empowers us to live that way. Now, to some people, talking about the Holy Spirit like that might sound overly spiritual. I don't think we should view it that way. I think that this is exactly the kind of life that we should see God wants us to live. We're alive in Christ. God fills us with the Holy Spirit. That's how we are to continue to live. That's why Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then Romans 8 ends with some wonderful blessings for us. I didn't put these in your bulletin, but verse 17, uh, we're told about an amazing inheritance we have to look forward to in which we are co-heirs with Christ. Again, do you think that God the Father prepared uh, prepared a pretty good inheritance for Jesus Christ? I think he did. We are co-heirs with Christ in that inheritance. One of the words he uses to describe it is glory. And then in verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Our our part in that is to love him. But God, the God who created the universe and is all-powerful and all-loving, he is working for the good of those who love him. And um, let me just say, I I, I love this thought. One of my favorite thoughts, perhaps, going through the book of Romans. This idea that God is working for good for those who love him. Uh, was going through something earlier this week and was just thinking, God's going to be good in this. All I have to do is trust him and watch him be good. And I, and I knew, I, I, I said, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for God to be good, but I can trust him. I can take him at his word that he is going to be good in the midst of it. So think about that the next time you're going through something. God, your goodness. I, I'd love to see it. I trust that you are good. I'm going to look for your goodness. Now, it means that we need to retrain our minds to understand what the word good means. But it's true. God is at work for the good of those who love him.
It's a wonderful promise and blessing. And then at the end of the chapter, 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he ends by saying, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us deeply. So all of this gospel goodness, all of this good news of Jesus Christ is rooted in the promise and the love and the goodness of God himself who loves to shower us with blessings. So wrapping up this first recap of Romans 1-8, through we see that God has new life for us. I, I think that's yeah, that's a huge thought. You look at chapters 6 through 8, it's not just that God saves us, it's that he has a new life for us to live. Two application points as we wrap this one up. Number one, if you have not yet received new life in Jesus Christ, do it now. God loves you. doesn't want you to stray away from him for another second. He wants you to come to him. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I just encourage you to talk to him right now. Thank him for his love. Confess that you're a sinner. Ask for forgiveness. Give your heart to Jesus to follow him. That's God's plan. God's desire. That's what God wants for you. And then second, if you've already received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, remember we don't just wait for heaven to come. We, we do look forward to heaven. We absolutely do. But we have new lives to live right now in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the same way that Jesus counts himself dead to sin but alive to God, so are we to count ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. God has new life. Don't go around walking in that old life. There's no benefit in that. Let's live the new lives that God wants us to live. Okay, so that's the first part. Um, I want to move on to a second part, but before I do that, I actually want to invite the children up. So if there are any kids who would like to come up for a children's sermon, you can come here. And kids, I'm going to have you sit on the, on the floor. If you really want to sit on a chair, you can sit on one of those chairs. But sit somewhere where you can look at me this way, okay? No, not, not right here. Okay, why don't you grab a seat there or sit on the floor there. Okay. <coughs> holiday we're going to celebrate on oh, what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. How did you know that? And then Christmas. And then Christmas about a month later, yeah. we got Thanksgiving. What, what do you kids like about Thanksgiving? The food. The food. Alright, I was hoping somebody would say, what's your favorite food? Um, pies. Pies. Oh, I thought you were going to say broccoli. No, okay, the pies. Alright, good. What do you like about Thanksgiving? The turkey. Mm. Can you can you give me a turkey noise? Gobble gobble. All right, pretty good. Okay. Amy? <coughs> Having family. Oh, that's a sweet answer. Way to go. You get to go to your grandma's and do a treasure hunt. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right. Josiah, did you have your hand up? What do you like about Thanksgiving? Here. Hi. Oh, wait. Oh, family. Yeah. You like being around family. Good. What do you like, Levi? Pineapple. <laughs> Pineapple? <laughs> hey, all right. The storm's going to Hawaii for their Thanksgiving? Or, all right. Great. Great. Sounds good. Well, I love the pie. I really love the pie. My favorite pie, cherry apple pie. Combine them together, you won't regret it. Okay? Just a little tip there. 
Um, I, I love the food. And I love being with family, too. It's really fun to get together with all that family. It's fun to do all that stuff. And I enjoy football. Sometimes there's a good football game to watch. Any of your dads ever watch football? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you know what there is? After the, the food and the family and the football, you know what there is? More food. It's like, there's just all this food. And you know what? We're going to Fargo for our Thanksgiving. And I don't know if this is going to happen or not. I might even be able to sneak away to Taco Bell and get something. <laughs> Can you imagine Thanksgiving meal and then Taco Bell? Okay. I really do love Thanksgiving. But you know what else I love about Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, what's, what's the first part of the word Thanksgiving? Thanks. Thanks. Did you know that the reason that we have a Thanksgiving holiday is because we're supposed to be reminded to give thanks for the good things in our life. Now, who should we give thanks to? God. Give thanks to God. I love this time of year because it's a time for us to remember how good God is to us. Now, should we only be thankful on Thanksgiving Day? No. No. But, so obviously we should be thankful every day of the year. But one of the things I love about Thanksgiving is it's a good time to remind us to be thankful all the other days of the year. So think about that, kids. This Thanksgiving, let's be thankful and let's remind it the next day and the next day and the next day, let's remember to be thankful to God for what it is that he's done for us. Yes, Levi? You can be thankful to your friends. You can be thankful to your friends, too. Yeah, if your friends do something nice for you, you can be thankful to them. Austin? And you can be thankful for your pets. Yeah. Be thankful for your piggy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen your guinea pig. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. But anyway, Thanksgiving is a time for giving what? Thanks. Thanks, that's right. Okay, kids, thanks for helping me out with that. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, yeah, you helped me know it. Okay. All right, why don't you kids go back to your seats now, and uh, we'll continue on. Um, First Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. One of the things I love about giving thanks is it helps keep our lives on the right track. And we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But now I want to head into this second recap of Romans. This one's a little bit faster than the first one. I want to walk through these chapters by focusing on one key word. It's a Greek word, charis. Now, if any of you are brave out there, I would recommend charis as a baby name. In fact, I once tried to recommend Karis as a baby name, and uh, we have four kids and none of them are named Karis. But anyways, um, I met somebody once named Karis, and it was off of this word, but it's, uh, in Greek it starts with an X, well, it's called a Chi, but uh, we would call it an X. So if you're really brave, X-A-R-I-S, beautiful baby name, okay? So, at least I think it is. Um, the word, uh, I, I believe the names Karen and Karen also come from that. So uh, Karen, I think, where's Karen? She's somewhere out. Yeah, there you go. So this, uh, this word we're going to look at, this is where your name came from. So what does the word charis mean? Well, a lot of the times when the Bible uses this word, we translate it as grace. That, that's one of the, the definitions of this word. So what does grace mean? Well, grace means God's gift to us, God's kindness to us. Many of you know the acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E. Say it with me if you know it. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, some of you knew that one. Yeah, the idea is that, that God loves to show his kindness to us. Um, so where do we see this word in Romans 1 through 8? Well, for example, we see it in 1-7. So Tom, I'm going to have you start it. These, word, these verses are going to show up on your PowerPoint. And where we see these charis words, uh, I've, I've put them in there. <coughs> 
to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right as Romans starts off, Paul wants us to know that God wants to pour out grace on us. He wants to give us gifts and blessings and kindnesses, all these things. Okay, then moving on, remember I said going the rest of chapter 1 and then all of chapter 2 and most of chapter 3 is the bad news of Romans. So we don't see the word grace very much in there. Um, so we have to go, we're going to flip over now to the good news on the other side in chapter 3. Tom, if you can go there, 324. says, talks about how we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Okay, so we see the word grace, but we also see the word justified there, which is that word in Romans, the, the same word for righteousness. And remember, it's not that we are righteous on our own. It's that Jesus is righteous, and if we put our faith in him, we are declared righteous. So it says we're justified freely by his grace. It is a gift that we have salvation. So why would God, who knows everything about us, again, remember, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. God knows everything about you, all the wrong things that you have ever done. Why would God justify us freely? Because it's a gift that he wants to give us. Please know that about your salvation. It is a gift from a loving God who wants to show you kindness. He sent Jesus so we could be forgiven and declared righteous. We couldn't earn this on our own. That's why if we go ahead to 4.16, it says, Tom, oh, there it is, yep. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. Again, there's this wonderful promise of God. We're supposed to put our faith in it. But when the gift comes to us, it comes as a gift of grace. Again, the God of the universe showering his blessings on us. It's nothing that we could have earned. Earlier in Romans 4, I talked about um, how this gift comes not as a, a, a wage or an obligation that God gives us because we've earned it. No, not that way, but rather as the blessing of forgiveness that he gives to us. And then we have to move, move to 515, because the word gift showed up here a lot. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? In this verse, I think that Paul so deeply wanted to tell us about this gift of God's grace that he had to pull in another word to do it. You see there, uh, he uses the word doria. So it's like, there's all these gifts that God wants to give to us. It's uh, the gift of his grace to us. Even though we were sinners, God wanted to pour out so much grace on us that it would overflow. I think that's pretty cool. Again, we're sinners and enemies. God gives grace overflowing grace. Then according to verse 521, the next slide, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants grace to reign. Like he wants it to reign supreme, to reign as king. He wants it just not only to overflow, but to reign, to have this power in our lives. That's God's grace for us. So, so far, we've looked at these charis words, and the way it's been used is to talk about God's grace. But there's another way that the word charis can be used, and it shows up in our next verse, uh, 6.17. But thanks, charis, be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now that last phrase, slaves to righteousness, is actually a really good thing. It, we only have two options. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God, slaves to righteousness. 
and it's a much better thing to be in righteousness than in sin. But I want to point out that word, that same word that's used for God's grace is the word that we are then to return to God in thanksgiving. Thanks be to God. We, have been, we are people who have been so deeply touched by God's grace that the response in us should be to return thanksgiving to him. And in that sense, you could even say we return a gift to him. Um, one of the amazing things about the Bible, you see this in the Psalms a lot, is that we can bless God. So God blesses us with the riches of his grace shown to us in the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. We are to thank him by blessing him with a gift of thanksgiving. And then let's look again at 623. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, what did we earn? If we were to go to God and say, okay God, I'm here, I'm, I'm at the gates of heaven, what did I earn? What did we earn? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives it to us as a gift. Um, one of the things that stood out to me the most in my study of Romans uh, was a word that I missed in my initial study. If you remember at the beginning, I tried to come up with some of the key words of Romans, and I listed off several of them, and I, and I think they were key words. But there was one that I missed. There's one that occurs... 46 times in Romans 1 through 8 that I didn't really notice as a key word until I, I, I walked through it more slowly. It's the word death. Now, if you're not familiar with counting words in the Bible, for one word to occur 46 times in the span of eight chapters means that it's a key word. It's a really important word. And the word is death. The wages of sin is death. What did we earn? We earned death. And Romans 7 is perhaps an even better place to go to talk about that death. Romans 7 describes a mess. Sometimes after you read Romans 7, you almost feel like you need to take a shower because you're just looking at this awful, wicked mess of what we do in following the sinful nature. The chapter is so messy and full of death that at the end of it, in, in verse 24, Paul says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question in 7.25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We were dead in sin. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. But Jesus Christ came to rescue us. What should our response be? To give thanks to God. As we read through Romans, one of the questions I think we should ask ourselves is, would you rather be dead or alive? Or another way to ask it, picking up on a key word from earlier in Romans, would you rather face God's wrath or receive his grace? So we've got two options here. Okay, on the one hand, we've got death and wrath. And on the other hand, we have grace and life. Which would you rather have? We humans have both options. We could go either way. We could follow our own course of life, which leads to death. Or we could put our faith in Christ and receive grace from God and receive life. Those are the options set before us. Now, we all came into this world with a sinful nature, and we could keep following it. In fact, that's what a lot of people do. And, and why, think about this, why do people follow the sinful nature? Because they want to. Because they, they think in their limited human thinking, and we, we're susceptible to this as well, even as Christians, we're susceptible to this temptation. We sometimes think that what we can do on our own is better than what God can do for us. 
And then you think about people who, who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and that's what they naturally do, is they follow the path of the sinful nature, and it leads to death. Jesus Christ came to rescue us from that. He came to rescue us from sin and death, from the sinful nature. What should our response be? Thanks be to God. We've been brought from death to life. We're not dead anymore. Certainly we shouldn't live in death anymore. That's why chapter 8.13 tells us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. So instead of following our own path, we're supposed to follow this path of life that God has for us. A path of grace. And one of the things that we should do on that new path is to tell God thanks often. We should be thankful people. So again, the reason I've kind of picked this word, one is because it's a key word, but also because we're heading towards Thanksgiving. And it's a good reminder for us to be thankful people. Now, thankfulness is a learned habit. And let me just tell you a little bit about this from my life. I was not naturally a thankful person. And, and nor also was I naturally, I think, somebody who just overflowed with joy all the time. And I think there's a connection there. I think that if we get all wrapped up in our own lives, trying to live the, the kind of life that we want to live, there's really no joy in that. We might find temporary pleasure for a time, but we don't find joy. But where we do find joy is when we look up to God, the one who created us and the one who saves us, and we tell him thanks for what he's done. So I want to urge you to be a thankful person. Use this Thanksgiving season to remind you to be thankful to God. Thankfulness is obviously a great way to praise God, but it does one other thing. It helps keep us on track. And I want to backtrack a little bit. Tom, if you want to go to the next slide, we're going to look at Romans 121. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. People who don't give thanks to God are people who stray from God. They stray into darkness and futility. So if you want to stay on the right track with God, I urge you, be thankful. Tell God thanks often. And then there's one more appearance of Karis I want to show you in 832. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God sent his son to save us. The same God who sent his son is the God who is going to, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things. What a God we serve. He longs to pour grace into our lives. And our response should be to thank him. So I'm going to end by just giving four quick suggestions on how you can thank God. First, thank God in your prayers. One of the great tips I learned in life was to start off your prayers by saying thanks to God. You ever get called on to pray and you think, oh no, what do I pray for? I don't know. Well, here, Two great suggestions. One, start off with saying thanks for something. Or two, start off by confessing your sin. Although if you're in a big group of people, maybe that's not appropriate. But um, two great ways to get into prayer, confessing your sin or thanking God. So I want, to just, I want to challenge you with that. Here's your homework assignment for this week. Start off your prayers by saying thank you to God for something. Remind yourself to be a thankful person. Give thanks in all circumstances. Even if you're going through something horrible, Find something good about God that you can thank Him for. Okay, then second way to thank God is to worship Him. Singing songs, praising God, 
a great way to remind ourselves of how good God is. Third way, talk with others about the things you're thankful to God for. So maybe some of you go around at Thanksgiving time and you, you go around the room and say, what are you thankful for? Let's add a little phrase in there. What are you thankful to God for? And you don't just have to do it at that big family time. You can do it wherever you are. Talk to people about what you're thankful to God for. It's one of the ways that we can praise God is by telling others the praiseworthy things that he's done for us. And then fourth, live a life of thankfulness by living according to God's ways. Get to know him and how he wants you to live. As you do that, you thank him with your actions. So obviously we can thank God with our words, we can talk to him and thank him, but let's also thank him by living the lives that he saved us to live. Remember, we're dead to sin but alive to God. Let's thank him by considering ourselves alive to God. God has poured out riches of grace on us. Let's, let's respond by being thankful to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all these riches of grace that you have poured on us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for purchasing our salvation. Thank you, God, that we are declared righteous in Christ and that we have new lives to live. And God, I pray that you would help us to live those new lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to walk with you. Help us to flee from sin, to turn away from evil. And God, I pray that we would be thankful people that in response to all the good things you have done for us, that we would glorify you and thank you, for you are worthy. God, help us even during this Thanksgiving season to remember to be thankful to you. God, we love you and we do thank and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll invite the